Outdoors. Welcome back to the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. This is episode 174 with Alan Wilson, brought to you by iHunter, Canada's number one digital hunting companion. We've got uh, Brennan and April here again for the intros and outros this time. Brennan, what's up? Solid 7 out of 10 after my very enthusiastic intro last episode, I must say. Coming in too. <laughs> Coming in good too. Yeah. Do you re- do you remember the um, saying "C's get degrees"? <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's that's it's, how I ran my university life. C's get degrees. So when you tell me I got a seven out of ten, I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. That's still a pass. Yeah, that's, oh, no, that's good. It's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, fifty yeah. percent's a pass too, which is how I uh, operated my high school career <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible um no, it's not <laughs> so on this episode we have alan wilson who is a longtime acquaintance friend of mine uh he is from the Bertle area and he's a teacher at the school and he teaches kind of like an outdoor outdoor education kind of course and his boys brody and tyler um i went through kind of as the boys were growing up we shot 3d archery quite a bit together and so alan tyler and brody are very very avid shed hunters in manitoba and so i was able to nail down alan for an evening and be able to talk shed hunting with him and kind of mix in a little bit of like science, uh, land stewardship, sort of how the kids in his class kind of learn about animal behavior, growth, all of this kind of stuff. And it was a really, really good uh, discussion that Alan and I had. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's real shed hunting, not to be confused with the, uh, you know, random antler in your tire when you're driving. Yeah, the field. <laughs> yeah in, a, so, in, a, in the uh, tractor tire of some people. Speaking of which, I don't know if I even told you about this, Brent, but I my first shed this year, I found it on Glenn's uh, silage pile and they ran it over with a tractor. Oh, busted And they, bus, they busted it all up, yeah. So okay, I picked it up one? and I, I got, no, it was a smaller one. Oh, just a little gaffer. Yeah, That's so it. I got it out of the way for them, <laughs> which was funny. I haven't talked much about it because it didn't feel like a, a real find but uh it's nice they fall and, down face down and not up with the spokes right or the yeah because that would have got into the tires and it's funny because i had had a discussion with one of the guys and he said oh you know i'm not very observant and then this happened i'm like yeah you clearly aren't observant because it was literally on like a flat clear spot that it got run over so well, unless you're looking for them they are hard to see it is, and you're when you're in a tractor, you're way up there, but I just, yeah, it'd be good if they were more observant, because that's a lot of money to poke a tire, like, jeez. Oh, shit, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I had a good uh, chat with Alan about that. Um, oh, we talked about so many different things, and it, it was really good, but I 
I wanted to mention, so we always talk about iHunter in our intros and our podcast is sponsored by iHunter. And, and one of the ways that I use iHunter coming into the spring here is every single year I mark my sheds. And I think Alan and I probably talked about this somewhere in the podcast was just that the deer spend time in a lot of similar areas depending on the season and depending on kind of how much snow you've got and whether or not they can travel as well as normal. But a lot of these deer like to spend time in similar areas. So every year I will mark where I find a shed. And the other thing that I do is occasionally I will, if I'm, if I'm on a really, really good trail that I want to pay attention to for, you know, coming into spring and then moving into fall and hoping that the animals will be traveling that area in the fall, I will use um, the marking feature on iHunter where you can like mark your trail. And I will, when shed hunting, I will mark that trail and then be able to come back to it because I find it's really hard. You you sort of know where they're moving in the summer and the fall, but sometimes I find that it can be hard because the grass starts to grow back on those trails and it kind of like kind of covers up the trail. But if you can mark those trails in the winter when they're getting really packed down, then you have a better idea of where the deer were moving at least at that point in time, and then you can come back and you can check that in the summer and into mm-hmm. the fall. That's right. Have you uh, have you noticed with some of your waypointing or, or your marking for the antlers, have you noticed any areas have more than others? Like, have you seen, uh, see an antler drop in the same spot as a year previous? Um, I've seen them kind of drop in similar areas. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. the exact same, but similar areas or um, maybe similar, like, m- traveling area or movement area mm-hmm. so that they're they're using the same kind of like corridor year after year and i've seen an antler there year after year mm-hmm. and i'm sure you get into this in the podcast but where do you where do you find most of them are you finding them on trails in the woods or are you finding them near fence lines you know where they have to jump over and bounce or oh it's so hard it's yeah. so hard i have like i have a, i have sort of like i think it's five four or five places that I check. So you go feeding area, travel corridor, bedding area, um, landing pad to me, which is like when they jump over a fence and they hit the other side. Um, And there's always one more and I can't think of what it is. I can't think of what it is off the top of my head. But like Alan and I kind of talk about that in the podcast where you sort of start your year off checking your feeding areas Mm -hmm. um and you you can check those and then as the snow starts to fall or sorry as the snow starts to melt you will make your way back from the feeding to the travel to the bedding um so as not to stress and push out the deer when they're back in their bedding areas and Ah. so i i always check you know check all of these different kinds of places and people who are very very into we'll call it in quotations very into shed hunting will do it like that they will check a feeding area first and they'll do sort of like a scan of the feeding area and then the next time they come in they'll do a really really hard like grid search and then they will move their way to the travel and then they will move their way into the bedding uh, mm-hmm. And that's mostly just to keep the pressure off of the bedding areas early in the season so that we're not overly pressuring uh, any, you know, um, does that are carrying fawns or 
if you know we're still having a hard winter or anything like that we're not pressuring them far back to where they're away from the feed and making life harder for them sort of thing that's right well that's that's good well shit i'm sure you and uh you and al really talked about that stuff in depth in the podcast there we don't want to give away all the rest of the information yeah too many secrets so yes. chit chat about that which was really good um what else friend excellent um, not a whole lot going on out here. Still stuck in camp um, with no end in sight, as it were. Usually with Pipeline, that's how it goes until the last day when they tell you to kick rocks. Yep. <laughs> Get Ship out of out. here, right? So, yeah, that's right. So yeah, got some we're things still, to be excited um, about coming up. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, as of right now, we're we're still waiting on our, on our f- trip together and just getting things ready mm-hmm. and making sure that we've got everything it's been it's been kind of interesting i've spent some time reading some different uh blogs and things like that online about like what what we should be packing and i don't know it's interesting what's your um (laughs) we we recently ordered some boot gators and why did we order those because there's fucking snakes down in argentina (laughs) pardon my french but I don't know if listeners really know this or not, if they know much about me, but I can't do snakes. I can't do the tiny garter snakes. I can't do the giant anacondas. They are just the most terrifying things on the planet. So when I say we've ordered gators, it's, yeah, it was, it was gators or I was going to do all the hunting from an airplane. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I just, yeah, Googling that fact after, like, wait, Southern, Southern hemisphere country, a little close to the equator, not. A little far away, but yeah, snakes, poisonous ones, big ones, constricting ones, just terrifying in general. So we got the gators, and uh, yeah, I'll probably be, you know, jumping on somebody's back and getting a ride through some long grass or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's definitely you know, interesting when, sorry, when you read, like when I started reading these blogs and they're talking about like all of the different things that you, you know, might need for your trip there. And I'm just like, we don't own those because we don't need them here but now we have to buy them because we might need them for four days <laughs> oh gosh i just i just hope that the animals down there are accustomed to a man screaming <laughs> and like, i'm hoping there's i'm hoping that badlands camel can really hide that scream that is yeah, just inevitable next thing, right? at this point <laughs> yeah uh but that has been kind of a really good thing is the fact that we can go on the Badlands website and order all of the things that we need. I can order all of the things. We can make a big list, all the things that we need for hunting in Manitoba. And we can still go on the exact same website and we can order all of the things that we need for a trip down to the south for Argentina. And it all comes from the same website and the same company. And that's just been nice not having to skip from you know different website to different website to different website we can just order all of the things we need from badlands and be done with it mm-hmm. and it's it's just such good stuff yeah oh, i'm rocking it for years now and it's just yeah yeah well we have made this a really wonderful long intro um we will get let's get into this episode with alan the only thing i have to, to remind people about is that um Panoramic Outdoors will be at the Parkland Outdoor Show from April 26, 27, and 28. So if you guys are headed down to the Parkland Outdoor Show, make sure that you stop into the booth and see Sheldon and whoever is working with him. I know I'll be there on Saturday night and Sunday. So come down, say hi. Um, 
have a little chat with us. We're going to be podcasting while we're there and we'll have some outdoor gear and some other things for you to look at. So without further ado, let's get into the episode here with Alan Wilson on Shed Hunting. Welcome everybody to the Panoramic Outdoors podcast. Tonight I have a friend in the archery community with me tonight, um, Alan Wilson. Alan, uh, for those people who don't know you, can you share a little bit about yourself and how you got into the outdoors? Um, I, um, I've been in the outdoors uh, for quite a few years now too. Just started as a, as a younger, when I was younger and into hunting and fishing and got into archery and then just continued all through uh, all through my younger years. And then as I had kids, I kind of kept in it with them and doing things with them and got into archery and stuff too as well as, as the outdoors and hunting and fishing and um, uh, in education as well. So I'm a teacher and uh, lucky enough to be able to teach um, high school science and wildlife uh, studies and some environmental courses and uh, kind of interject that into the into some of my courses that I teach too so a um, little bit of background in pretty much all areas of hunting and fishing and over the years so nice so that's a little bit about you now Alan something that we do with all of our guests to kind of like dive a little bit further and get okay. to know a few things is what we call five burning questions all right and so these are kind of rapid fire but you okay. can take as short or as long of a time to answer as you need. So my first question for you is if you had one last meal on this earth and something to wash it down with, what would it be? Probably some sort of wild game of some sort steak, probably deer steak, likely baked potato, probably cold Coke, a cold one straight out of the fridge. Yeah. With ice. (laughs) Nice. Um, okay. So you can only shed hunt for one species for the rest of your life. Which one is it? That's easy. White-tailed deer. White-tails. Okay. You have, uh, one concert that you can go to a artist past or present. Who is it? Elvis. Elvis. Ooh, nice. Your biggest shed found. Biggest shed score wise? Approximately. Yep. Uh, probably 80, 80 to 90 inches, 85 to 90 inches, probably. How many points is that? Uh, six. Six. Okay. And my last one for you is you have what we like to call, um, fuck you money, which is an unlimited amount of money for a purchase of a toy or a trip or something like that. So your, your bills are paid, your, your loans are paid off, your, everything is topped up. You can't save any of it. You have to spend it for yourself. Um, hmm, that's a tough one. Um, probably build something where, build something to live in probably in the outdoors, a cabin of some sort. Where are you thinking? Just in the valley right here where I live right now. Nice. So new house, essentially. Yep. So I've kind of alluded maybe to what we're going to talk about a little bit today, if um, people were paying attention to five burning questions, but we're going to talk a little bit about shed hunting. And since this is sort of something that people are getting into a little bit more, it's a good pastime or a good hobby, good way to be in the outdoors and get some exercise. 
that is what we are going to be talking about today. So, Alan, can you kind of elaborate for people what it is and why it's such a popular activity among like us outdoor enthusiasts? I mean, for me, it started as just another way to just another season, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a season that's in between some of the other ones, maybe between deer hunting season and maybe spring seasons. And I guess it gives you some some way of getting into the outdoors and kind of following your passion when when I guess when it's downtime more or less. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of big because with hunters because it gives them a glimpse into maybe especially with white tailed deer or elk or moose or whatever the sheds they're looking for it it kind of gives them another window in to see the game that they're hunting and maybe what's out there and and what they miss seeing maybe that was out there and that kind of thing so it's kind of a a what if type thing finding mm-hmm. stuff and finding sheds and looking for sheds that uh, you never know what you might find kind of thing Mm-hmm. And so, so if anybody listening doesn't know what we mean by shed hunting, we're talking about antlers that white-tailed deer, um, mule deer, elk, moose, um, cervids, that after their breeding season and coming into the spring, they'll usually um, lose them. They will fall off naturally, and then they will grow back um, throughout the spring and summer um, and into their breeding season again into the fall, and then the cycle just continues to happen. So you had mentioned, you know, that like it gives people an op- opportunity to kind of see a glimpse into like animals that may have they may have missed. Is that something that you uh, do? Like, do you shed hunt for the purpose of following maybe a buck that you did not have an opportunity to hunt that year? Usually, yeah, that's kind of how I kind of started a little bit too, was that um, you kind of try and pattern, pattern the deer when you're hunting and see where they are and what they're doing and, and how you might end up um, eventually taking that animal. And and shed hunting gives you a glimpse into finding the sheds of a deer or an animal that you maybe didn't know was there um, or one that you knew was there and you just wanted to see what he was maybe uh, if you never did get a chance to harvest that animal, then uh, picking up the sheds is kind of the next best thing. It's even better than harvesting the animal because he's still alive and, and he still mm-hmm. could, has a chance to grow and, and get bigger kind of thing for the next year. So, um, yeah, it's kind of just the extra evidence, basically. And, and, and it's kind of nice following deer animals that you know are there as well, too, from year to year to see what um, how they change and and you know, what they actually turn into from young, from a young deer to young deer or young animal to a maybe a mature animal when possibly when you might harvest it as well. So mm-hmm. do you, uh, do you have any sheds that you've collected from year to year that ended up being from a deer that you eventually harvested? Um, yes, several actually. Um, yeah, actually probably 75 to hundred percent, 75 to 90% of the sheds I've picked up um, usually I end up harvesting or someone I know or a family member or someone that I hunt with usually ends up harvesting that animal somewhere along the line and it's during its evolution or during its, its, uh, lifespan basically. So that's the kind mm-hmm. of the neat part about it as well. Yeah. Is getting to see the changes in, in the animals. And, and sometimes like if you, you know, if anybody's been down the, the reels or the TikTok rabbit hole of like shed hunting, there are a lot of people that post videos of, you know, a deer that may be in its 
first or second year have something really crazy going on on one side and then the next year it's still crazy but as they grow they grow out of it or the opposite way where they start off really normal looking and they turn into something really interesting so that's right, kind of cool sure. to see it is it's really neat the the whole uh life cycle or the of the animal if you're if you're lucky enough to pick up sheds off of it for several years it's kind of neat to see how it changes or if it changes and and how it gets to maturity as well too and and what it actually can turn into as far as a trophy animal or uh, or just a very you know very mature deer that you really get to know know personally mm-hmm. really right yeah it's it's almost like you kind of like create a story and a little bit of a i don't know if friendship is the right word but a connection with them as you if you can get to know them for that long sort of thing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's definitely a connection now um, in the last 10, 15, 20 years with, with the advent of trail cameras, because you, you basically, if you use trail cameras for hunting and for, for different purposes for um, um, you, you get to see them actually. Now Mm -hmm. it used to be, you might catch a glimpse of them during hunting season and you may pick up a shed uh, during the winter, but most most people now that hunt use trail cameras and, and you have several pictures or pictures of the animal usually. So it is, uh, you definitely get to know it on a, on a, almost like a personal level. You, you know what they look like already and, and you can put, you can pair them up to the sheds pretty quick now too. Yeah. And I guess too, like now that we have that opportunity to have so many pictures and potential antlers and like we say, we're building this connection that I think this is where people um, start to like give them names. And oh, everybody sure. kind of has a name and you just, you feel so like, you know them. Yep. Oh, for sure. Have you ever had the opportunity to follow a buck? So from say young to full maturity and then find sheds of his, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but like essentially his deterioration phase. Like um, once he- they hit the top and then they get, start getting older weaker and maybe the racks are getting smaller yeah for sure a couple have been lucky enough to follow over the years and um had them as yearlings and two-year-olds and three-year-olds and all the way up and one buck in particular that we picked sheds up off of we figured he was probably upwards of 10 10 plus years and and yeah you can wow. see his whole evolution we have the, the the whole set of sheds and stuff um in the in the garage basically and you can kind of follow his whole lifespan and they definitely you can definitely see where there's years where maybe they didn't get the nutrition they needed and mm-hmm. the antlers weren't as big and then obviously a year where maybe he he kind of was in his mature in his uh, prime basically and and how how you know the biggest set that he threw kind of thing and then also on the way down um, mm-hmm. as he was getting older and deteriorating too how they were still you know mature mature antlers and and you could tell it was a mature deer, but then it was going down, much like some of us kind of do when we get older, too. So. <laughs> You're not that old, Alan. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, um, so I, I'm interested now that you said that, and, and this is some stuff that I have been reading, and I wasn't sure if I was going to go far down that rabbit hole on this podcast, but can you, in as much information as you know, but not, like, too scientific, right. can you explain why that's important like their um nutrition and how that plays into what kind of antlers they might have and you know um their health right well we do a lot actually especially in in school actually with some of the science courses i I teach and some of the wildlife science and we've gone into it a little bit and um it's got a impart it's due in part to a lot of different factors and um 
primarily from my experience personally anyways um genetics and nutrition are the two main ones mm-hmm. um there has to be good genetics in the in the herd in in your area or in certain areas that um that is passed on too that's the thing there has to be everybody talks about oh there's got to be so many bucks and so many so many um so many males and so many females to for a healthy herd and there is some truth to that as well but the overall the the genetics come from years and years of selection i guess if you want to call it that mm-hmm. and it's it's like anything else the the strong ones usually get the, survive and and those are the ones that usually go on to to do a lot of the breeding and and in most areas that's the superior genetics and mm-hmm. if those genetics are passed on and they're allowed to reach maturity then you're going to see those types of you're going to see you know good antlers good scoring antlers good healthy antlers but certainly nutrition isn't the only thing genetic genetics comes into it a lot um, and there's there's some areas that people and you've heard people you've talked to hunters and stuff and it says we just don't have good antlers in our area, and that's primarily due to numbers and like uh, and nutrition as well. But if there's if there's poor genetics in an area, it takes years and years and years of uh, selection, basically natural selection, to get to get those that good genetics in an area. And some some areas just have great genetics for deer, moose, elk, and and it's just, it's been there for years and, and the selection and just the, just the way things are, just the way they're harvested or just the numbers in that area just allow for it to happen. So it's, it's kind of an interesting process. We didn't, we don't go into too much, but it definitely uh, is definitely a, there's a lot of top, a lot of controversy around, you know, what makes good antlers and right. certain, certainly nutrition and genetics are the main two for sure. And so if they have, so if they have a year of really good nutrition and say the winter is easier, they will, they could potentially have better antlers, bigger antlers that year and vice versa, right? So if they have oh, like sure. a, a really hard winter or the, the nutrition is just poor, maybe it's a drought year or something like that and, and things aren't growing, their antlers could be poor. Oh, for sure. Poor condition of, of the, of the, of the box for sure. But, and quite often we forget about the, the, the does as well, the females. And mm-hmm. the thing is, if, if there's a, a good, healthy female population in the herd, um, a lot of times, and if they're mature deer that are, that are breeding and they're actually healthy as well, then mm-hmm. they throw really, you know, really healthy fawns and those healthy fawns, if they have good genetics, have kind of a more of a chance to grow into you know, the males especially have the genetics are passed on and they come from a healthy, from a healthy genetic, like a gene line basically. And the females have a lot to do with it too. If you have a healthy doe population and, and it's uh, good nutrition as well for them, mm-hmm. then that also helps the fawns if they have a good couple of early years and then it carries through right through too. So that's right. an important part of it that a lot of people forget. It's not just bucks and their health. It's the, the breeding does and their fawns health as well too. So mm-hmm. And then so does, does that, um, so we've grown a set of antlers. Um, does the year's nutrition or nutrition availability that year have anything to do with when they drop? Yeah, certainly. The, the shape that they're in on a given year, definitely uh, a lot of times if they're in poorer health or if it's a harder winter earlier, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see earlier drops sometimes too. Right, uh, and that's when you all typically when you see early drops on a year where it's a harsh winter or an early winter deep snow where they can't get to food sources after the rut, or um, that's where you typically see early drops or a lot of a lot of mortality too. You see a lot of bucks that just don't make it through the winter. Right, that's kind of a good place to move into this. So, 
there's a lot of controversy around when we should start shed hunting um you know what's good for the animal population whether time of year etc what do you how do you feel about that do you guys um talk about that in class and learn um, do the kids learn about that bit. or is that sort of a personal preference um, we do mention, we do go into it a little bit too. We're talking in the wildlife science a little bit, but personally, um, if it's a harsher year, uh, colder winters, uh, earlier winters, I know if we're shed hunting and stuff, we try and stay almost out of the area until while they're doing their thing to try and survive, um, mm -hmm. uh, the winter and, and, and not, you know, pressure them on fields or pressure them in certainly in bedding areas when you're looking for sheds as well. So, and even this time, even on, on good years where they're, where the weather is cooperative and there's not a lot of deep snow and they're getting to food, um, we still usually, if we're shed hunting, we usually shed hunt open areas midday. Uh, mm -hmm. We never do it early morning or late at night where, you know, when they're coming out onto the fields or coming out into the areas where they're feeding. And we typically stick to that too, actually. And we have a very healthy deer, deer herd in our, in our area where we shed hunt. And I think a lot of it is to do with... Um, is when the pressure that they get after the season's over and during the winter, if they're allowed to let, just do their thing and and they're not pressured and pushed out of bedding areas and and uh, run around because the more they move around in those harsh winters and and stuff, the too, more, the more chance of yeah, more chance of you know predators and that's a big thing right now too. So the more more chance of predators getting on them and just expending more energy and and mm -hmm. uh, not making it through for sure. And you guys, you and your boys kind of do a good job of how shall we say helping the deer with their predator issues right and i think that's a that's a huge that's an important really important part of a healthy deer herd in in certain areas for sure is uh predator pot predator control for sure mm -hmm. coyotes and uh certainly wolves in certain areas where they're where they're uh, common will definitely uh drop the population of your deer herd in a hurry uh, in the winter mm -hmm. as well as in the spring too the coyotes and even the bears actually will uh, will you know prey on fawns and stuff in the in the spring right after they're born and uh stuff too so yeah i think that's important we have a fairly in our area where we have a fairly good deer population we have a few uh local guys who actually do a lot of trap have done a lot of trapping over the years and they take a lot of predators which i think uh, our deer herd in our area is very healthy due to a lot due to that right because the predator is kept in check. Yeah, the predator-prey kind of relationship is is kept in check as well. It, it kind of looks after itself naturally. Nature does that, but uh, it does help to to help that along a little bit too when the mm -hmm. predators where they're concerned. So, do you guys hunt uh, shed hunt mostly? Would you say you're predominantly public land or private land? Mostly private land. We don't have. We have a few chunks of crown land around. Mm -hmm. um, we, we typically have shed hunted in those types of areas too, but it's mostly private land and a lot of landowners are, uh, landowners are very, very good in our area for, uh, if you were to stop in and say, you know, I would like, is there any chance of, you know, taking a walk and looking for shed, shed antlers in, in your, mm -hmm. your fields or your pasture or whatever, there isn't very many farmers that would, that, that say no to that, especially unless they, unless they kind of look for sheds themselves, but, mm -hmm. um, you get one of those things in the tractor tire and it's pretty costly. So there's, there's lots of them around here. Say, so, yep, get them all, make sure you get them all. I don't want one in my tire kind of things. So, yeah. And so how do you navigate that? If that, if it's a first time, like say it's a property that you've never been on a landowner that you've never spoken to, 
you know, how do you go about creating a, you know, positive connection with them and asking for that kind of permission? Most of the places that we predominantly over, like historically, we have a few areas that we have done for, we have looked in for sheds and stuff for years and they're either landowners we know because we hunt there or we, you know, we've, over the years, we've, we've just um, got to know them and, and basically stopped in at one time or another, basically to, to ask for permission. And most places, if you are looking to hunt or to look for sheds, most places you just stop in and, you know, and introduce yourself basically and, and say what you're actually doing and, and why you're doing it basically too. It's just, you know, it's more exercise than anything really. And you're just, Mm -hmm. you're just hoping to help them out too, because you get an area where there's lots of sheds laying around and stuff to it. They pick them up in their, in their hay binds and run over them with tractors here and there and stuff too. And there's not too many that, that won't say, yeah, go ahead unless they look for them themselves and, or they have kids or, you know, family members or something that, that are already looking for sheds, which is a big thing now too. There's a lot more people involved in it too. So it's good. Mm -hmm. I, I got a no this year from a property that I was watching, uh, some corn and, uh, the the deer have just been in there like crazy. And I finally got a hold of whoever could give me permission. Um, and got a straight up no. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, (laughs) like oh okay but it happens and and you know we didn't really discuss too much but i have heard that the family you know occasionally shed hunts there so i'm just like i'm not gonna you're not gonna argue with somebody if they say no it's no yeah definitely and it's actually more popular now than it ever has been and and it's actually a really good activity to do with 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 kids Mm -hmm. and um it's you know it's like an easter egg hunt basically kind of thing anyways so a lot more families are doing it, which is great. It's great for the sport of it. And it's great for, you know, just even just awareness of it. And everybody likes to to find a big one or a small one or a funny looking one or whatever. So uh, yeah. And kids really get into it. I know we started, I started with my boys when they were younger and it's very addicting when the, when you first start it because you want to find more and you want to find another one and you want to find a funnier looking one than you did before, or you want to find one off of a deer that you know is there. And so, yeah, I think a lot more people are, are getting into it because of that. And, for the right reasons too. There's a lot of people that are getting into it for the right reasons. And there's lots that are getting into it for the wrong reasons as well, which mm-hmm. brings up a whole other, a whole other kettle of fish, whole other yeah dilemma as well too. So yeah. Alan, can you kind of walk us through a typical process kind of, of a shed hunting trip, like maybe from planning to what you guys are going to be doing to finding them, identifying Maybe I, how you identify whether or not whether they are a, an antler that you've or an animal that you've seen before. Like, just talk us through kind of what you and the boys do beforehand and during. Uh, well, first the now that they're older and and uh, it's it isn't as much about finding as many as you can or finding you know the biggest shed out there. I, I know we do it now more just as a it's just a you know a time to go out and and do something together basically. Mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's just exercise as well, right? That's a time of year where you're maybe shut up a little bit more in the wintertime, so it's a way of getting out and going snowshoeing or going walking. Um, but we typically do areas, we typically look for sheds in areas that we that we hunt, so we probably have trail camera photos of those deer anyway. Right. So it is kind of neat once you do find one that most of the time you, you know which one it is as soon as you pick it up, if you've mm-hmm. got pictures of it or you've seen it during hunting season or or whatever, and... So that's kind of the neat part too, where we're out, you know, shed hunting and somebody will find one right away and 
the text they'll come across saying, Oh, I found, you know, I found Curly's one half his right side of Curly or that kind of thing. So that's kind of the more we enjoy doing that more now, seeing if we can, you know, pair up ones that we, we know of mm-hmm. um, by name or by picture or whatever, by site, or if we've seen them before. And, and actually even in the older ones, it's, we kind of now too, it's more of a thing where we, we want to see how old that, you know, how long they can survive kind of thing. And if we can right. find their sheds and stuff. And so it's more of a, it's more of a challenge of just getting out and just enjoying some time together. And, and, it, you know, if you get lucky and find a few and find a few that you know of, that's even better yet. So do you guys have like when you, I guess, maybe going back to sort of like the seasons and how hard the winters are, do you have a process for where you will begin and how you will progress through the season you know, based on pressuring animals for like sheds, you mean? Yeah. Um, usually we don't start shed hunting until Christmas break at, you know, at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And it's also a good way at Christmas time too, to get out. And we usually don't get on the trails looking at all until like for sure Christmas break, we'll go, you know, for a quick, you know, quick walk or snowshoe kind of thing. And, and it's also a way of checking on the deer, deer herds health at that time of the year too. It's only a, you know, three, four weeks or a month after hunting season. So it's kind of nice to be able to see which deer, if you happen to spot a few, see which deer are out there. And, you know, if, and we usually take a quick inventory right off the bat, because usually if we go out in December a couple of times and all the bucks that we see um, still have their horns, then we back out of there. We back out of there completely for, you know, for a few more weeks and, and then typically don't even get on the trails again until maybe we come and watch a field or take a walk. And as soon as you start to see some without them, you know, their bucks for sure. You can tell that they're, you know, they've lost, their ears are hanging low and they've lost their horns. Or if you got your binoculars and you can see that they've, they are definitely a buck and they've lost their horns or they have one horn, mm-hmm. then we'll go for a few more frequent walks. And, and usually we pick up quite a few that way. So almost you- like walking behind them, waiting for them to fall off kind of thing. We don't, yeah. <laughs> we don't bump them all the way along, but as soon as we see one that has one, we say, Oh, we'll take a few more extra walks that week and, and right. so on. And usually you pick them up right away. So, so do you guys start um, like I have, what I try to do is start in feeding areas. And like you said, like during the middle of the day, right. And then progress further in. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick time out to thank one of our sponsors and that is Co-op. With over 160 local cooperative associations and 600 communities and over 200 million active Co-op members and 23,000 employees, they're a company that is local. They invest in our communities and that's why we love them. So thanks a lot to Co-op for supporting our podcast. If you have the chance, go and check out your local Co-op or if you're traveling through, stop in and say hi, get your gas, get your fuel, get your lumber get your agricultural stuff, get whatever you need, check out co-op. Thanks again. Yeah. Usually what we do is, and a lot of times they feed in, you'll see them feeding in fields and you go by, or if you, you know, where an area where you hunt or something, they definitely congregate and you can see them in the evening. Usually we'll take a drive in the evening and see where they're at. And and then, um, you know, you can glass them from afar, you know, far away. And, and if some have one horn or some don't have any horns, you know, they're a buck kind of thing. And, uh, if they all have their horns, we usually just uh, leave it at that. And then when they do start to drop, we typically we typically look for freebies, we call them, which basically is anything, any open area that they would be feeding in during the evening or at right. night. Uh, and then we, you know, we skirt along fringes of bedding areas um, where they come from trails coming onto the onto the feeding areas but mm-hmm. we never we never really go into the feeding or to the bedding areas until well after you know snow melt right yeah 
And so, like, how are you increasing your chances of finding a shed? Or do you guys, um, do you just kind of like walk around the field and try and find stuff? Or do you, gla- like, you do a little bit of glassing? Do you guys grid or anything like that? Well, we actually do a lot. Well, binoculars are absolutely essential as far as I'm concerned for shed hunting. And we all carry our binoculars for sure. Um, and we, we do walk fields. It depends if you're by yourself. Quite often I find my I'm find myself by myself lots. So, uh, cause the boys work and, and have their own lives right now too. So, uh, if I get out by myself, I will probably walk areas, you know, I can definitely see where they've, they fed on a field where they're pawing and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I will walk erratically sometimes just kind of all <laughs> over the place. If I know they're, they're all over that field and just kind of glass and look for, I call freebies, ones that will be sticking up ones that you can see from a distance far away with the naked eye or, as soon as you put the binoculars up, you can see it at three, 400 yards away kind of thing on a field, if it's mm-hmm. a shortcut field or whatever. But, um, but if we do, I have gridded fields as well. If we're sometimes if we find one shed to a buck that we've maybe been hunting or a buck that we definitely want the horns off of, or, you mm-hmm. know, it has some sort of special significance in our shed collection or whatever. Um, right. I have gridded fields as well too. And I actually gridded one the other night, actually. Uh, cause I was all by myself. So, and they were really feeding on it heavy. So I just start in one corner and I usually go out about 60, 70 yards and then I walk all the way down and then I move over 60 or 70 yards and I walk all the way back. And oh, okay. that changes a little bit too. If you've got binoculars, you can see in any direction as far as you want basically too. But mm-hmm. I typically, I typically will walk kind of in a pattern if possible, if I'm by myself, but if there's two or three of us, we, we roam all over the place. So. Yeah, and just try and kind of pick up over yep. top of where somebody else may have missed. Oh, for sure. You can pick up freebies. And we typically, any of the freebies I call them are sticking up. Anything that's of significant size or, or, or fresh drop, usually, depending on the snow too, if it's a hard pack snow and a hard pack field, they'll they'll be up on top if they've dropped or you'll see a tine sticking out or you'll... Right. Yeah, and sure. now that we've kind of had that little bit of a melt, even if something was underneath the snow... Oh, for you know, sure. We, it melted quite a bit there this last little while. Yeah, we found sheds on the uh, this past two weekends ago, I guess, when it was all melting that the the snow had completely melted around it, and I guarantee it probably the shed had been there since you know early January. So, right, it was just like walking in, you know, and at the end of March it was melting so bad. Tops of the uh, hills on the fields were completely bare, and yeah, there were some of our fields were completely bare. Mm-hmm. At, like my yard was completely. Like now that we got, I got oh, quite a bit, a little more snow here. So now the whole yard is covered again, but you can yep. see the grass sticking out. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we <laughs> pick, picked up shed numbers probably in Jan, well, in the end of January, start of February in our mild weather here. Shed numbers that we probably don't pick up until the end of March, April. Oh, wow. Just because of the, of the melt and tops of hills and melts were, you know, on the fields where they were, they were sticking up. In other mm-hmm. words, they wouldn't be there for another month and a half, probably. Right. So um, that was kind of a you, bonus this year. <laughs> yeah, an early, uh, an early few. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned having binoculars with you all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Is there, are there other items that you would say are kind of like essential to have? Um, a good, actually, a backpack is actually nice too. If if you're lucky enough to find a few and. And carry, you can always carry them in your hands and stuff too. But if you do get lucky and find a few, it's nice to have a backpack to tie, strap them on or throw them in. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's a good place to keep your snacks and your water because especially if you go out for a few hours at a time, it's nice to have that stuff too. So, yeah. But yeah, definitely good backpack, binoculars, 
uh, are a real must for sure. Snowshoes for sure on some years are, are nice mm-hmm. to have as well because you can cover a lot more ground. And- Snacks is a big one. I have, I have definitely gone out and started in kind of an in an area with minimal snow ended up in a little bit deeper snow and ended up like in the middle of nowhere and out of energy and like dying to get back oh for sure yeah i've been there too and actually you start walking and then you just go a little further and you go a little further and then before you know it, you got to get back kind of thing too Mm -hmm. and yet your legs are kind of getting rubbery and you just keep going but you're if you're a diehard shed hunter you just keep going (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> you, you kind of push through it, but you yeah. definitely like the snacks are super helpful there. I've, oh, sure. I've gone so far as to have um, like for archery, I've done this before, but um, having like little containers of like baby, um, baby food, like fruit, oh, yeah. ba- like the smushy baby food, oh. just so that, that you can get like that really, really quick, um, like sugar hit kind of thing. Yep. Yep. I like my chocolate bars, so I'm good. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That'll work. And lots of water. Mm-hmm. Do you guys carry like garments or anything like that? Or are you um, in a good area where cell service is nice? It is good. Yeah. Cell service. We usually are most of the time we're in good areas where we have cell service. And um, yeah, we do once in a while, actually, too. That's the other thing, too. Um, marking. We like to mark where we've, we've found sheds from year to year, too. Mm-hmm. Not every shed, but certain ones for sure, if we know of, or if we know of one that we are after, like we kind of are looking for specifically mm-hmm. if we do end up finding one off of a deer like that we we typically do mark it on on our gps or on our app hiking app that we use or yeah whatever it, it's kind of nice too because we have they usually are in similar areas mm-hmm. we find too a certain deer will be if he shed there one winter he's probably going to be in that same area if he's still around kind of thing that next year so mm-hmm. i typically use it's interesting. I'll use both. So I will start my activity or whatever on my Garmin and mm-hmm. I have a specific, so on my Garmin watch, I, you've got like all the different kinds of activities, right? You've yep. running, swimming, hi, uh, biking, hiking, blah, 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 cardio, strength training, all that. And so on mine, I can create, I can create an activity. So I've taken the hiking and I've created a specific shed hunting activity. Right. So yeah. I'll, I'll start my shed hunt and or shed hike i think i have it called so yeah. that um when i go back into my garmin explore i have them there they are in listed kind of all your activities in chronological order are listed and right. i can go back and i can check like my miles and i can check mm-hmm. all that activity stuff for my specific shed hikes but then i'll also drop pins and i'll <laughs> and i will also uh use my iHunter app at the same time right. Yep, and so with sure. iHunter, you put your waypoints in and, and then like I have the area that I, I've got private and public and the public is so big here that it's crazy to try and like I'm, I'm trying to track all of the sheds on public so that I can start to make some kind of just figure out kind of where they are in the winter and what they're doing. And, you know, like yep. you said, figure out where these bucks are. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And if you can actually, uh, if you actually have certain deer or certain elk or moose or whatever that, you know, are going to be in the air and you found the sheds before and you end up finding them again, usually they're not too far from where they, where they winter usually. So the same mm-hmm. ones, normally they're, they're a creature of habit. So. Yeah. Can you discuss, and this might be something that maybe you talk to the kids in school about too, is 
Can you kind of talk to us about the importance of like respecting wildlife habitats when we're in there, like leaving, leave no trace, that kind of thing? Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially in public areas or even private areas too, if somebody's giving you permission and you're lucky enough to, you know, get permission on their property, you definitely, you know, you definitely respect it and, uh, and, you know, don't leave garbage and that kind of thing. And, and even as far as like breaking branches and stuff, if you happen to be going through trees or, or in the, you know, in the bush kind of thing as well too. And, and just little things like that. And, and, and even where you park and stuff like that too, actually, if it happened mm-hmm. to be a wet, muddy, you know, wet, muddy spring, you're not driving anywhere. And, uh, we walk everywhere for shed. So we don't, we don't use, you know, four wheelers or, uh, skidoos or anything like that a lot of the places that we go are um you know hay fields and stuff like that where where they're uh congregating to feed and and the farmers you know you don't drive across them all winter with skidoos looking for sheds because it definitely you know will harm their fields and and stuff like that so yeah you got to be definitely be um you know conscious of that as well what you're when you're out there what you're doing what you're leaving and what you're not leaving kind of thing too as well the respect thing Mm -hmm. is you'll get permission usually if you're respectful and that's something that i've kind of seen in the past is you know you might you might get a no you might get a no from a a landowner you know in the beginning but if you if you get some yeses from other landowners or this specific landowner might sort of see how you conduct yourself they can and you know once they get to know you a little bit better or you know find out you know, what kind of person you are in the outdoors or whatever, they may change their mind and go from a no to a yes. So it's important to, you know, keep up. I don't want to say good appearances, but like make sure that what you're doing is respectful and, you know, just good for the environment. Oh yeah, Um, definitely. And one thing you had mentioned, like not, you know, not driving across fields and stuff. I cannot believe the amount of snowmobilers that, have like no regard for any like any kind of cropland or anything like that like around here there's a lot of guys that snowmobile there is a snowman trail um, not too far from here but there's guys like some of our farmers around here have fall ryan winter wheat and you know that's all green underneath and Mm -hmm. i mean i know it's not three feet tall or anything like that but they're like ripping across there and and you know like playing around in the fields and i'm just like yeah what about all the stuff that's underneath? Yeah, for sure. They definitely, def, skidoers definitely, and it's kind of been a, over the years, and I know I can remember back when I was younger, and and skidoers back then, there was no, you know, set trails like there are now and stuff too, and and skidoers basically was just an unwritten rule. Once that snow fell, fell on, you know, in the, in the fall, that you could go anywhere you wanted to go because you had a skidoo basically, and it wasn't mm-hmm. like a green trail. You didn't ask permission, and I mean, that slowly is getting to be not the norm anymore and a lot of guys are you know have crop and stuff like that and a lot of guys want you to ask even if you can cross their land with with a snowmobile and stuff too so that has changed quite a bit but there still is a lot of that where they just go where the snow is basically so Mm -hmm. and think about it later kind of thing or don't think about it kind of thing so yeah it's definitely especially if you're a shed hunter it's it's it can be frustrating that's for sure because um it just takes three or four crazy snowmobilers to rip across some guy's field and then you stop to ask permission to you know to shed hunt and they've had a bad taste in their mouth from that and they basically tell you nope nobody i don't want anybody in there so yeah nobody's allowed on here at all Mm -hmm. do you i'm now i'm thinking back to kind of like the garments and the things that you that we take and stuff like that how do you guys make sure that like if you're 
shed, shed hunting a property and maybe it's big land and you're getting close to springtime, how do you guys have any way that you sort of like safety precautions or do you guys take a first aid kit or um, bear spray, anything like that? Well, we usually carry, if we have our backpacks on us uh, and we know we're going to be out for, you know, several hours or in an area that we maybe aren't that familiar with, we'll throw our, a first aid kit in the, in our backpack. We usually have one in the back in the truck where we park or whatever, so, um, but doesn't do much good if you need it on the trail. But uh, if we're only going out somewhere just for a quick walk or something, we usually don't. But if we're going out for a few hours, we usually have something and. And usually, especially with cell service, first thing we check is if you have cell service, if you're, you know, you ever needed help. And I go out alone all the time. And usually I have my track me on kind of thing or where my wife knows where I am or uh, can follow me or at least one of the boys know where they could find me if I have trouble kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. um, usually, usually I have that on and and they can, you know, tell exactly where I am because I've been. I know they, it's almost too convenient that they know where I am too. So I've been, I've been out and actually picked up a text them and said, Oh, I just found a big shed. And they tell, they text me back and say, Oh, you're in the corner of the field there. That's where you found it. Right. So they know exactly where I am, but yeah. Or all of a sudden they show up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So I send a picture with two or three sheds and the next thing you know, they're, they're pulling up with you. So yeah. Oh, it's all good fun. I've asked you so many questions, like, to tell me this, tell me that, tell me that. Okay, so can you tell me some of your maybe most memorable finds? Um, yeah, there's been a lot, actually, a lot. Um, well, one deer in particular, we have, I think, seven sets of sheds off of. Oh, wow. Uh, and he was, um, uh, as a two-year-old, he was a six-by-seven. Wow. Uh, basically fit in the palm of your hand or maybe from your wrist to your top of your index finger or your middle finger as far as the length of his beam, but a six by seven as like a two-year-old. And then uh, bigger and bigger as he, you know, as he grew older. And then actually one of uh, actually one of our friends actually ended up shooting him as I think about an eight or a nine-year-old buck. Very similar every, every single year, pretty much identical, just um, bigger. Mm-hmm. And then when he shot him in this prime, or just past his prime a little bit, actually, he had already started to kind of go down a little bit. But um, just an absolute, you know, giant. And every year, pretty much identical, just bigger. It just kind of gets bigger and bigger. So that's probably one of the most memorable because he's, we had so many years off him. There's probably, there's eight years off of him, basically. So, mm-hmm. so that was pretty neat. Um, some big, big single ones um, have been those usually those big old deer that are you know pop size pop can size bigger bases on them and and they're they're old and they're mature and they're just like tree trunks basically those are the ones that always stick out to me actually yeah um the big big heavy old ones i like but mm-hmm. and i know my boys actually one of my boys actually likes the little ones and has always collected the little ones they he says they're harder to find and uh they're way more valuable because it takes good you know it takes better eyes to spot them kind of thing and yeah <laughs> um has literally rain barrels full of little ones and the little ones are kind of what what he likes but I like the big, the big heavy ones that I have history with as well that I, that I've either got pictures of, I've seen, I've hunted, uh, ones that I've missed with either the gun or muzzleloader or, or bow are always memorable to pick up as well too. If I've had history with them and I've actually missed an opportunity or a chance at them and then I get lucky enough to pick it up. It's just like, 
It's basically, to me, it's almost better than harvesting a deer. Right. It's, it's finding a big deer's sheds because then you've got his sheds uh, to admire. And that's, and he's still, he's still running around and everybody wins kind of thing. Right. I have noticed the deer up over your right shoulder there. Oh, that big uh, guy those, there. Yeah, actually, one of them is a set of sheds, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, and he was one that I, I don't know if you can see him here or not. The one like, on the right. He's a big non-typical. Yeah. And he, I, I don't know if you can see him there. I missed him with the muzzleloader one year, and then I found his sheds that spring. So he looks like he's got splits there. Yes, he's got splits on one side, actually, uh, three... His G3, 4, and 5 are maybe splits, I think. Oh, wow. G, yeah. G. And actually, that deer's got some history as well, too, because a friend of mine has another set of sheds off of him. And on that left side, he had splits the year that I found him. The year before that, uh, a friend of mine found both sheds off him fresh. And he has three beam, He has two beams on one on that side. Mm-hmm. So the next year, he threw the splits. The year before that, he had an extra whole extra beam and was wow. quite a bit larger. So it's kind of neat that uh, that one that he uh, he found, and then I found found this guy, and then we never did find any sheds off him previous year or even see him. So we're not sure if he was winter kill that year or not. He dropped both sheds; they're both laying on top of each other the year I found them. So, oh wow, I'm not sure if he was winter kill that year, but we never did see him again. Never so, saw him again. Never saw him again. Yeah. I know my the better um, set that I found last year. They weren't they weren't huge by any means, but they were like on top of each other. Yeah, right beside each other in the in the snow there. Yeah, those uh, are the new. That's probably with some of the most memorable ones too. Are the ones you find together, and they're a big set for sure. Yeah, it's like I I find um, like I've got a uh, one antler from a nice four by four, and that seems to be very common genetics around here. It's like we get really big four by fours and that's kind of about it. Right. Like I had, I barely ever see anything bigger. Um, I've seen one really, really cool non-typical. And this year we have, uh, we had a five by five. I don't know what happened to him. I haven't found his antlers yet. I've only been out twice, but I, I don't know. There's a, a couple groups that rifle hunt in that area. So I saw him on December 4th. No, November 4th was right. the last time I had him on camera, I think it was. Or maybe it was December 4th. Right. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say that um, finding, like I, the big 4x4 four four that I have upstairs, he's he's um, displayed, that antler's displayed. It feels like such unfinished business. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely. And then, you know, when you find both of them at the same time, you're just like, it, I don't know, it, it feels that one that chapter feels complete right there oh for sure kind of thing in yeah. that sense yeah yeah they do for sure and i know we're the same way now we um we know all our deer mainly and in our areas that we hunt for sure and shed hunt and it actually gets to the point now where a lot of times we won't shoot a deer either with the bow or the rifle unless we know that deer right uh unless we know what age he is and we you know we you know where he's at kind of in the herd kind of thing too so yeah, we're very selective now with uh, which ones we, we shoot and uh, and harvest. And um, it's actually quite nice to be able to pick up their sheds too. So I've definitely had chance to harvest certain deer and, and pass on them and let them go just because I, you know, want to see what he, you know, turns into and what he's, what he's capable of being. Right. And I know I'm going to probably pick his sheds up in the, in the spring anyways. So 
Yeah. Cause he's in the area that I, you know, we hunt in and I know he's probably year after year. That's where he's going to be kind of thing. So mm-hmm. if I don't want to harvest him, I, you know, usually I'm lucky enough that he, he'll get through or hopefully nobody else, you know, gets shot at him or something like that too. So. Mm-hmm. I find, I find it so hard to do that here because we have that huge chunk of public land so close and it and it's it's so easy for people to hunt that public land and and what ends up happening actually we have seen this many many years because my husband has only just in the past few years started archery hunting but he has always muzzleloader and rifle hunted and in this area the people like people will come in rifle season and they will muzzleloader in rifle season and will line up right on the fence line between the public and the private yeah oh for sure and, yeah, he, and it's almost like if you don't shoot if you see a good deer and you don't shoot it yeah you will never see it again yeah and there's a lot of areas like that it's unfortunate and then i mean it's there's nothing you can do about some of those areas for sure if you're lucky enough to to not have to hunt in some of those areas because it, it does, it's a whole different, whole different ball game as far as mm-hmm. kind of almost like a first come first serve kind of thing. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's unfortunate. The deer are the, sometimes the ones that kind of lose out and, and those are the areas that, yeah, you never do get to see what, what they can kind of turn into. So yeah, the potential you, for you sure. Just but we've don't... got, we found sheds off of deer and the next year they've been shot in, in rifle or bow hunting season. Uh, 10 miles away and we know it's that wow. deer exactly because we have the sheds off it or the pictures off of it they just right. sometimes move away and they just sometimes leave the area so mm-hmm. that's uh and that happens for sure and we've lost bucks that we found sheds off of three four years in a row and not see them for two or three years then all of a sudden they show back up so mm-hmm. that's kind of a nice surprise too and there's always those surprise sheds that you never you know you never see the deer you've never had pictures of the deer uh, yeah. I never had sheds off of, and all of a sudden, where did he come from? He's just, he's just there. So, yeah, and that, um, that non-typical that I have on camera. It's interesting because uh, I had him on camera in oh goodness, like nineteen maybe it was years, like a few years ago, and he was like gnarly, crazy, and never like didn't see him again. And I, it's, it's got, it's either him or genetics of his because it's the exact same little stickers in the exact same yeah. spots oh, for uh, sure. i had him last year in velvet yeah. at the very very beginning of the season oh for sure so that was cool and i'm sure too yeah. like that pressure has a lot to do with it um it does. yeah for sure you know years that we get a lot more road traffic around here and guys are driving up in the fields and then you know in the last two years we've had um a few wolves and they haven't been taken care of yet so Mm -hmm. i'm sure that that you know some of the deer maybe some of the smarter deer are kind of moving away not get eaten yeah oh for sure they definitely move in i know around here we they they tend to move into you know residential areas and into town kind of thing too closer to communities because that's how they survive right you know they're in backyards and and they're in you know in areas of you know people's yards and stuff for the winter and that's how they stay safe from coyotes and other predators as well too so they definitely those types of areas definitely you should not overlook as far as shed antlers go for sure <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah i've uh, heard of some small communities where mm-hmm. people you know there's a an, a couple older folks and they like to go out and purchase a bale from a farmer and not tell the right. farmer what they're doing with it and bring it into town and 
<laughs> yeah. And all of a oh, sudden yeah. there's 30 deer at it. <laughs> yeah. I actually found a matched chocolate set, a five by five set uh, just the other day in my backyard. Oh, wow. Nice. And they just pass through there basically because they're coming into town and they pass through there and head up to the farmer, farmer north of my place actually in town, just like right in town by the garbage dump kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I just seen them passing through there. There's a trailer goes through there all the time. And I just happened to walk back there and both of them were laying there for me. So it was kind of neat. <laughs> nice surprise. Mm-hmm, for sure. Kept you on here for almost an hour. And that's usually kind of how, <laughs> how long we usually do this. I am wondering though, Alan, do you have any sort of like tips if somebody wanted to get into shed hunting, they've got no idea where to start, no idea what they need or how to go about it, but they, you know, want to start. What would you, what would you suggest or what kind of, you know, information would you give to someone? Well, they definitely got to find the deer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so basically do your work, scout, find where they're feeding and well, find where there's deer, where there's a deer population. If you find where there's deer population, then it's just a matter of going back when, and keeping an eye on them basically when they're dropping their antlers anywhere from the end of December to the end of February, uh, start of March kind of thing, or even into March if you're once the snow melts too. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't shed hunt until till it gets nice out or whatever. But buy a, find a nice set of binoculars if you plan on if you plan on walking in the fields and stuff like that. It can save you a lot of walking. And uh, if you're walking in the wintertime, snowshoes probably, <laughs> snowshoes, binoculars, and do it on foot. Don't worry about a quad. Don't worry about a snowmobile. Don't worry about a side-by-side. Don't worry about a truck. Don't just drive around bale stacks. Get out and walk with your feet. And that's, yeah, that would be my tip, I think. That'd be the big thing, yeah. Just get out and do the work. And absolutely have no expectations. Find the Mm -hmm. deer. Go for a walk. See what you can find. It's Mm -hmm. when you start looking for them and you really start stressing out about finding them and finding certain ones that's usually when you don't and it's if you're just out walking and just looking and enjoying your you know the fresh air and getting some exercise usually that's when you come back with handfuls yeah that's that's a good one i can i can attest yeah. to that yeah lower the expectations and just be in an area where there's deer yeah and you will find them for sure yeah well, that is a very good tip to end it off with, Alan. Thanks uh, sure. thanks so much for your time and uh, have a good evening. Yep, thanks for having me. Well, that was a fantastic talk with you and Al. Shed hunting, there's just, there's so much to it. it, it it's funny because you always like, when I was a kid or whenever we were doing it just a couple of years ago, me and you knew, oh, there's a bush, let's go check for it. You know, kind of. <laughs> Kind of just like, well, there's there's deer in there. It's Manitoba. We're gonna find their horns, and you know, so many so many times of just coming up short with nothing. You know that uh, that podcast. Somebody that's just getting into it could definitely listen to it and just go to their local WMA and just kind of you know employ some of the tactics you guys talked about and and uh, and come up successful. I'm sure. Yeah, I really tried to pull out some information from Alan, him and his boys just are really, really successful. And, you know, sometimes that's just because deer are there. And sometimes that's because you're doing the right things and, you know, putting yourself in the right situation in the right places. So it's really nice to have somebody kind of give the information like that. Um, Another thing that we will have for you know, people who are interested in learning about that is you have the opportunity to listen to this podcast where you can get some information from Alan. But if you check out the Panoramic Outdoors website, we will have a blog that just has 
a whole bunch of information on shed hunting, kind of like your shed hunting 101 blog where you can read. So for those people who would prefer to listen, you, you know, you've got the podcast with Alan. And for those people who prefer to read, you'll have a shed hunting 101 blog on the Panoramic Outdoors web- website that you can read and kind of gain some of that information as well. That's fantastic. That, like I said, that was just such a good episode. And shed hunting, you know, maybe you're not into hunting animals but you want to get out and you want to go and see these things, go out shit hunting. Try it. You don't even have to take the shits with you. You know, they can be just something that you look at and be like, you know what, maybe a, maybe a squirrel's going to enjoy that one or, or something, mm-hmm. right? Like just go out there and see nature and see how it actually works. Yeah, get yourself out of get some fresh air, get some exercise, stuff like that. That's kind of the way that – that's part of what we kind of look at when we're doing it, you know. Shed hunting isn't necessarily just about like finding an antler. Sometimes it's about the experience. Sometimes it's about just being out in nature nature and getting some exercise. And then sometimes I find that it's about creating sort of a connect the dots between the animals that you saw last year and the animals that you hope to see this year. So there's lots of, you know, different reasons why somebody might go shed hunting. And like we said, sometimes it's just about getting out in nature and getting some exercise and just doing something different and exercising your brain in a different way. That's right. You know, my favorite part is uh, actually bringing the antlers home. And uh, the confused look my dog has on her face when we bring home an antler, but it's not an antler for her, but it's very similar to the antler that we gave to her already. (laughs) The look she kind of gives it at us you know when we we've used it as a decoration on a coffee table or something and she's just like well can i, can I has that no yeah. no you're gonna have that one on the floor and so you can just see the face like whatever man <laughs> uh poor dogs yeah life is tough of a dog yeah. that's just curled up in a ridiculous bed on the floor right now poor girl she's sitting right beside me being a good girl well <laughs> Yeah, like Brandon said, that was a really great podcast with Alan. A lot of really great information given on his part. Um, The only other thing that we have to mention is, of course, the Panoramic Outdoors website. We've got some new blogs coming every once in a while in there. And, you know, the store inventory has been updated and we are up to date on all the items in there as mentioned we've got we had a restock on some sweaters so now we've got multiple sizes in a hoodie style sweater uh, in the store waiting for you to come see and and as always guys make sure you reach out to us on instagram on facebook on on anything or come up and talk to us at the outdoor show tell us who you want us to have on the podcast you know we've put the we put some polls out there in the past and and we've been listening and we want to know keep doing that and get some of these people that you guys want to hear from Mm -hmm. definitely so let us know for sure people you want to hear from and information that you want to hear from them we are always open to suggestions and you know that's how we make our listeners happy there's the outdoors is such a big place and there's a lot of different people to talk to yeah but uh, yeah, I think that's about it for us. We'll probably wrap her up, uh, awkward as usual on the on the close up. <laughs> but uh, you know, that's just uh, how how we how we roll. What, is, what was the thing? Keep those waypoints popping or something? Wasn't that Keep those waypoints popping. Tristan always yeah. has this really good little closing yeah. line that I w- I just wish I could come up with something as you know on yeah. the spot as him. But stick on I the ice, shoot straight, and all that. Yeah, all the good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for listening again, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, bye for now.